Matt McKeever. Need I say more? In this episode, we speak to the real Matt McKeever. We'll do a deep dive with Matt and discuss life, relationships, demons, legacy, oh yeah, and real estate. Stay tuned. What's going on, everyone? Okay, I, I'm I'm don't even have the words today. I mean, I got Matt McKeever. I mean, the Matt McKeever. I mean, this is excellent. I mean, before I even started my real estate journey, it was watching Matt's videos. Now, mind you, Matt didn't have a beard in those videos, but <laughs> but it introduced me to Canadian content with how to do real estate investing. Um, and uh, I have to full disclosure, uh, you know, uh, Matt's actually one of my coaches as well. So I'm even more, that's why I'm smiling so much is I got a chance to have my coach on here as well. So thank you so much for your time, Matt. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. And it's awesome seeing how much you've just gone all in on social media and your personal brand building over the last six months or a year. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you know, it was uh, funny because you did put out a challenge. We were at a, was, I think it was at the right club. We were at a meeting and yeah. you threw it up there saying, it's amazing that no one else is doing this. And I'm like, I think that's a challenge. And, um, and I've just gone with it, but I do it selfishly because I want to learn. And mm -hmm. when I'm, and all I'm basically doing is recording this and throwing out to the masses and leaving a digital footprint for a million people. Exactly. So it's not hard. And uh, so let's let, you know, Matt, I don't even know where to start. I mean, you have such you're just first and foremost you're just an amazing human being i mean you know you just you're a good dude man and that's i have to say that like from the bottom of my heart you're just your willingness to teach and and you're the professor and i just love that so thank you it's very you know very unselfish of you because you could be doing a lot more things than just trying to educate people and building your empire um but you are you know putting a lot into the education component I really appreciate that. And it makes me think of one of the quotes that my buddy Dylan McLaughlin loves to say is real recognizes real. So I definitely recognize that in you as well. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So, you know, I, I, I'm like a kid in a candy store. I don't even know what to choose for questions. Okay, let's start. Okay, so let's, let's go back to Matt. So I remember seeing some of your first videos and they were pretty cool. And there was one video and you, you, you said you had to redo the video because the verse strategy wasn't, uh, wasn't clear enough and you had these post-it notes and you had this board in the back and you would talk about this is how you have to do it. Make sure you get the bus routes in there. I mean, let's, let's go back. I mean, those are the, the, I would say your first videos, like all your videos are fantastic, but for me starting out, they were like textbook, playbook. Do this, mm -hmm. do that. So why, okay, first of all, why did you even want to share that with the world? Yeah, so for... Uh, any of your listeners that aren't familiar with my backstory, just I'll try and really keep it brief, but I started investing in real estate in 2010. In 2016, I quit my day job because of my real estate investing. And in 2016, I found myself really adrift. And, you know, I've opened up to different degrees in regards to how adrift I found myself. But in essence, for the first few months after quitting my day job, I really decompressed. And for me, what that decompression looked like was just smoking a lot of weed, drinking way too much alcohol and playing way too many video games 
And after a couple months of that, I, I woke up kind of from that haze and looked back on it and simply asked myself, am I proud of what I've done? And the answer was a resounding no. And I naturally started thinking, well, like, why is that? And part of me felt that it's because I didn't have a community of like-minded people around me. So I really wanted to get my friends into real estate investing and get them to commit. So I had some, someone or some people to hang out with in early retirement because there wasn't a lot of 30-year-old retirees back then. Although now all of a sudden, London, Ontario, there's dozens of 20-year-old retirees. So uh, it's really fun seeing this evolution of the community. But for myself, I didn't really have that community back then. And it's crazy to even think four years ago is that big of a timeline, but it is. That community wasn't really in existence mm -hmm. and there wasn't a lot of Canadian real estate content. So I originally started writing really long emails to my best friends explaining how if they followed this simple pattern, this simple formula or recipe, then five years they'd be able to reach financial independence and retire early because of real estate investing. And most of them already had their own principal residence and a few already had one or two rental properties. But I was really trying to demonstrate how we could take this from a slight hobby that allowed us to get ahead of the average Canadian into really how we could get control of our financial lives. And I'd write these really long emails. They'd be like 5,000 words long. I'm sure as you, can, you and your listeners can imagine, not a single person responded because it was just way too much information. Mm -hmm. And luckily at the time, I happened to be reading a book and it said, talk to your audience the language they wish to be spoken and immediately clicked for me. YouTube, the reason we love real estate investing is because it's physical, because it's tactile, because you can walk through it, you can see it, you can mm -hmm. feel it. And the best way to really explain to my friends how they could do this would be via video and not really long novels sent to their email address. So a big part of the reason that I think my, my information started off so authentic was I was literally talking to my best friends, trying to get them to quit their day jobs because of real estate investing. The second one was I've always been like, since I discovered the concept of fire and that's the financial independence, retire early movement. I was always like, man, I need like two or three grand a month passively and I'm set. Mm -hmm. And I was well past that point when I started doing my YouTube videos. So I wasn't scared about competition. I really do have that abundance mentality that there's more than enough money in this world for us to all make it. And I was simply trying to show how, you know, my audience or my friends, could carve out their own little chunk of that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's remarkable. It's remarkable. You know, it's, it's, what's amazing for me is, I mean, when I, when I speak to people over Canada, for example, or, and, um, and we are going to do a podcast, we're talking real estate. And one of the questions they ask me is where are you from? And I say London. And the first thing they say is, Oh, London. Yeah. You guys have it. You guys have it figured out. Like you guys have this community and we want to emulate that. And it, I, I kid you not, and I just don't say this just for the sake of saying it, what comes to my mind is London on Fire, it comes to mind is mm -hmm. individuals like yourself, Dylan, Kellen, uh, Mike Rosehart, and really like, you know, Jeff Weibel. I mean, you guys have really put a flag in the ground and London is known for this fire movement and the, the young hip hipsters getting in and being multimillionaires yeah. in real estate. It's pretty awesome. It's really cool. And what's really important to understand, again, is that that community didn't exist a decade ago. It was literally just us giving ourselves permission and stumbling through the process. So when we first planned our first meetup for FIRE here in London, Ontario, we had no idea if anyone was going to show up. We knew that the four of us would at least show up. So it's not mm -hmm. like we were going to be that embarrassed. 
But beyond that, I had no idea. I think that first meetup, we maybe had a dozen people. The one after that, it was maybe 18. Then it was 20. Then it was 30. And it just kept snowballing. And to me, it's just about putting in that consistent action, but also understanding, similar to how teachers often say or instructors will say, if you've got a question, ask it, because probably someone else in the audience has the same question. It's also true. If you want a community, start it. Because probably someone else out there wants that community, but they're too scared to start it. And honestly, that community can start off as small as an individual. Although if you can at least like trick one of your friends into showing up to that first meetup, so there's two of you, that's it. That's the recipe. And then you just need consistently to roll that out on a monthly basis. Of course, of course. Well, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, as, as we're talking here and like my, my, my head is spinning and I mean, and look at what you've done. Like this is about Matt McKeever here and, and it's, what is it, 58,000 subscribers now? Yeah, we just hit 58,000 yesterday. That is, I mean, even, I mean, I think I'm sitting at like 250. So I'm right behind you by eons, but I'll get there because <laughs> the challenge. But the fact is, I mean, that is what a loyal following. And it just started from that one idea of you guys wanting to do this. It didn't need anybody's permission. And that's just remarkable. Mm-hmm. And it just goes to show any, anything can happen if you just do it. It's not a question of wanting to just do it. Yeah, understanding the the internet is the great equalizer. Like information is so freely available and communication is so freely executable right now that it really is just up to us taking ownership of the situation and leaning into it to make the most of it. Because like anyone that, you know, was trying to do this 50 years ago, they actually had a challenge. For us, like it's easy. Like there's so many different people out there leading by example. Now it's so easy to find your tribe where again, when I was originally starting, it would be like you saw one newspaper article in the, maybe the Toronto star or the globe and mail that was like, you know, person retires at 51 and you're like, Oh man, that's so cool. Like, you know, I, I think I can do that. I'm going to plan to retire at 50. And it wasn't until I stumbled across the early retirement extreme website that all of a sudden I realized, Oh no. Like we can actually just do whatever we want. We're in charge of our future. Mm-hmm. Cool. Very cool. So how many videos have you, do you have right now in your, in your. So we're library? over 650 videos on YouTube. I'm going to put you on the spot here. What is your favorite video? My favorite video. I definitely have a soft spot for the very first video I released, which was a uh, part one of the burn Elias series, just because Love that one. Yeah, like one, that was the video that took me the longest to make. You guys would literally not even believe me if I told you how many versions back then. I was of this mentality that it all had to be perfect in one shot. And so it was like 11 or 12 minutes of me just talking at the camera, trying to explain an entire business model. The first time really getting on camera. And I, I swear to God, I probably did that talk at least 50, if not 100 times from start to finish, trying to nail the perfect take. And I think there's maybe one or two edits that I had to go in, because I was just like, I don't know how I'm ever going to do this unless I let one or two edits into the equation. Um, so that's definitely a special one. But honestly, like, it they're all fun. So, like, I'd be lying if I didn't say I get cer- certain personal satisfaction when they do well with the audience, when they do well with the algorithm. Mm-hmm. So the videos with Casey Wong, they've got over 200,000 views. I love those because that first video with Casey again was Casey had sent me a DM on Facebook and was like, 
hey, Matt, not sure if you remember me, but I'm the short little Asian guy you talked to at Rain, and I own some apartment buildings. If you ever want to come and hang out, I'm down. I was like, I literally, like, I barely remembered Casey. I was like, oh, yeah, like, he seemed kind of cool. I was like, sure, why not? And we meet up in Waterloo, and I originally get out of my car, and I don't even take the camera out because it intimidates a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to scare him at first with the camera. So we start walking into his laundry unit, and he just starts dropping, like, knowledge bomb after knowledge bomb. I was like, I'll be right back. I literally (laughs) ran to the car, grabbed two cameras so that I had one and Adam Martin had the other. I was like, just keep talking, man. Like, just show us around. Like, let's just shoot the shit. And from that, you know, my YouTube channel got so much traction. But also, like, the videos I've done with my buddy Graham Stefan are extremely meaningful as well because Graham's the one that, like, he set the gold standard now and what it means to be a YouTuber in the real estate space. And it's been such a pleasure just seeing him grow and succeed as well. And that one video of yours where you were, I mean, the title was something collecting $60,000 of of rent a month. I mean, what are you at? 1.2 million viewers on that? I think. Yeah. Is that what that's that's just killer, man. I just love that. So it was amazing. Yeah. It's shocking to me still to this day, how many people know me because of that video. And like, Again, it just, it speaks volumes to the relationships that we can cultivate and build that people can watch one 10, 20 minute video and remember me a year later. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's true, like penetration, right? Like that's really making an impact in my opinion. Absolutely. Well, and I, and I see it too when people ask me, um, you know, um, I'll say, yeah, I'm from London. Oh yeah, there's that guy, Matt. Yeah, he had that, you know, $60,000 a month rent. I go, yeah, he's my coach. And it's like, what? He's your coach? You know him? <laughs> type of thing, right? So it's, it's awesome. pretty epic, right? So, so um, early on in your videos, uh, you were focused on the burr strategy. Is that so? Mm-hmm. You were doing the burr, I and mean, you were the master of the burr. Um, but I've seen you do some massive pivots. I mean, you got a wholesale team, not a wholesaler. I mean, you got a wholesale team. Walk us through that. Like, what, what were the many? Did you have many pivots, or did you just go from a buy and hold passive to let's just do wholesale? Like, what? What? How did it? How did the needle move? Yeah, yeah. So I would say I've definitely implemented multiple pivots as a real estate investor um, over the years. For myself, when I originally started investing in real estate back in 2010, it was student rentals, and the primary goal was generate cash flow. So student rentals were the fastest means to that end, in my opinion, back then. So, you know, I was trying to build up that two, $3,000 a month so I could lean fire, quit my day job and just figure out life essentially after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because to me, it just seemed like it was going to be a difficult challenge to really figure out life while working a nine to five. Mm-hmm. So that was the primary goal and essentially was able to kind of achieve that in the first few years. But then you naturally start talking yourself out of it and you're like, okay, I'm making two or $3,000 a month passively sort of maybe sometimes, but it'd probably be safer if I doubled it or like, let's just get it 10,000 because that's a nice round number and then I'll really feel safe. Um, so then I pivoted to the burn investment strategy to speed up the velocity of my money just so I could recycle it faster because I still wasn't really focused on OPM. Then after a while of that, I pivoted to more active strategy of generating wholesale deals and really just, you know, trying to focus on my return on time. And then recently I've actually returned a bit to the burn investment strategy where now we're burning, you know, small apartment buildings. So apartments in the 10 to 50 unit range. Now we're going after here in London, Ontario. 
And so each one of those pivots was really just based upon my lessons learned based upon networking, right? Like as I'd see other successful investors, I'd be like, oh, that's a really clever idea. Or I'd watch this video or hear this speech. And again, it would trigger inspiration for me. And I think one of the things that probably almost feels like a disconnect now between the mat of 2016 and the mat of today is now I really want to focus on return on time, not just for myself, but for anyone else that's consuming my content. Realistically, that's why most of us are attracted to real estate in the first place as we have this imagination of passive income and that passive income allows us free time. And so what we're really trying to do is free up our time in order to get there. And a lot of people, I think, put the cart before the horse by trying to do buy and hold real estate before building up that active income source. And again, this is like, if someone's been only watching Classic Mad from 2016 to 2018, this probably sounds like blasphemy because I would have been like, man, just you can make two or $3,000 a month in passive income relatively fast with almost no money. Just get there and then you're good. Where now I'm just starting to understand there's so much more opportunity out there than I even realized back in 2016, 17, and 18, that now I just want to, like, for me, I've really embraced the fact that it's the journey, not the destination now. Mm -hmm. And in order to really internalize that, you have to understand that, like, there's never a finish line. So in a way, I just want to keep pushing the limits to see where I get to next. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is why wholesaling, building up active income and things of that nature is so important because there's so many little pet projects I like to take on as well. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. back in like 2017, myself and uh, my cameraman, uh, Peter, the Hungarian experiment and Kellen, one of the co-founders of London on Fire, we started up the Social Lab, which was a YouTube incubator here in London where we offered free rent to YouTube content creators. Mm -hmm. And I learned a really important lesson then that the environment, the ecosystem I create really impacts the individuals within it. Like they end up becoming the sum of their inputs. And so if I want to really, you know, create exceptional, unique environments, I need to be able to insert so much abundance that it just gives those people to be, it gives them permission to be as crazy as possible. Mm -hmm. And so that's definitely been an evolution on my process. But back to your original question, I think it's really important that investors in general and real estate investors in particular, don't get romantic about any one investment strategy. It's important we understand people will make money in real estate in any market. And people will make money in real estate with any strategy. But it's when you try and force one strategy into one market that you're really going to potentially come into conflict if that market doesn't support that business strategy. The best example I can give is people trying to get cash flowing rental properties in downtown Toronto or Vancouver. Huh, you can't get cash flow on a $2 million single family house in Vancouver. Yeah, I never said you could. Mm -hmm. And why would you try? You're not yeah. going to get 20 G's a month for that house. So it doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit the 1% rule. So either switch the strategy or switch the market. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Because again, the same thing, because I followed your work and I said, no, I have to do buy and hold. I have to do buy and hold. And this is the way I grew it. But now I've pivoted to the active side and to your mentorship and then uh, Humble CEO's mentorship. And it, it's amazing because you know, and I love the questions because you, you, I remember we were on a call on one of our, on our mastermind calls or noon calls on a Wednesday. And you remember you saying that to me, you can't romanticize. It's not, don't be romantic with this. And I think that was when I realized very quickly, the difference between a real estate investor and a landlord is that a real estate investor owns real estate. A landlord is owned by real estate. Mm. So when you talk about return on time, that's, it's massive right there. And I think that's the clear line in the sand. 
And um, so I now I've made that pivot and, and uh, towards the active side. And yeah, what what a difference on return on time. Um, and and I mean, will I end up going back to the the other side? Hundred percent. But I need to have there's a difference between cash and cash flow, and I need to generate enough cash to put into the cash flow bucket, whether it be mm-hmm. private lending, BTBs, and that kind of stuff. So again, uh, you don't know what you don't know, and you got to surround yourself with with amazing individuals, not even like-minded, amazing individuals. And you have, I've learned you have to be the dumbest motherfucker in the room. Sorry, my language, but you have to be because that's where you're going to grow. Nothing's more uncomfortable than uncomfortable than being the dumbest person in the room. So you have to level up mm-hmm. in my opinion. Right. So, so Matt, you've, you've done so much. I mean, I look at what you and Jeff Weibel have done. I mean, you guys went and uh, created OREC and then, you know, we were on the, on the heels of the tribal digital, the, the virtual summit because of COVID. I mean, the amount of investment you guys are making into our community. I mean, it, why, why would you do that when, when Matt McKeever could be taking all that money and return on time and buying not small apartments, but big apartments. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret, Mark. Um, and this is something I've maybe talked about once or twice, but not too often. Um, all my employees really understand my perspective here to me. Like this is just a smart investment play. It's still Matt, the investor, doing calculations in his head in theory. I think that by building these relationships, by building this personal brand, that it's by far the most valuable investment I can make. And I'm going to use the example of the times we live in right now, COVID-19, quarantine, self-isolation, social distancing, all that stuff. I hope that it's become really apparent to people now that relationships are so much more important than individual transactions, that relationships Mm -hmm. trump money. And for myself, I, I literally believe that my, my greatest legacy and the greatest investment and the thing I'm going to be known for probably isn't going to be something Matt McKeever does. It's going to be something one of my mentees do. It's wow. going to be that I blazed that initial trail and then they stepped into that vacuum I was able to create by blazing that original trail. So I don't know, like maybe it's Adam Martin or Mike Nowicki or one of the mentees through Cashflow Tribe, but I suspect that like my, the greatest sum or the sum of all my work will end up being one of them rather than any specific project that Matt McKeever undertook. And, and those relationships again are so portable. Like you can't lose them in bankruptcy. You don't lose that, right? Like everything else can be taken away from you. Your, your relationships, your reputation though, that's something that can survive if you build it right, anything. And and it's going to be that, that's going to, that basically that's going to be your legacy. It's not going to be the wealth. It's, it's going to be, the impact yep and, and that's one of your core values right well that that is our core value for my company yeah so like impact is the word we live by and it's one of the core values at cash flow drive as well because you guys also have for your team you guys have a belt that's called impact right like, yeah and that's a, we got two impact belts one for the wholesale team and one for the general team yes. again one of the things i'm trying to do with my team and the culture we're creating here is i like a lot of people don't realize this, but I came up through the corporate world. I was five years working in public accounting, then four years working for a publicly traded pharmaceutical company as their sole financial controller. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of corporate politics. I've seen, as an auditor, I saw all kinds of different organizations and businesses and the cultures they created. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, 99% of small businesses aren't created with a culture in mind. They're not created with trying to help their employees become the best they can be. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that that's what a business 
should be, but a business that wants to be all it can be should be focused on its people. And so for us, things like doing the belt or we start doing 7 a.m. workups now with the yeah. team and we do daily meetings with our wholesalers on Zoom and things of that nature, I'm really focused on the culture because I think if I build the right culture, I'll get the right people coming to me. And what's great is I think I've got an amazing team already with me. And I'll just be straight up honest. They're not the best compensated from a financial perspective. Right now, like a lot of my social media business loses me money every month. It loses me a lot of money every month, actually. And so paying top dollar or trying to poach based upon financial incentives isn't practical for my current business. So what I need to be able to poach upon is culture. So I've had people take, let me think of what the most dramatic one would be probably like a 30% reduction in pay and probably a 20% increase in workload. And yet they're actually happier than they've ever been working in my, my company and my culture. And again, we're trying to build bonds for life with our employees as well. So like, even if they end up leaving our ecosystem, my hopes is that they go on and start their own business or something. And in the future, there's the opportunity for a strategic partnership. Or maybe there's an opportunity for a strategic investment and I just become an angel into one of their businesses or enterprises. So again, to me, it's all about building those relationships because like, I'm just one person. I can only do so much. But the moment I can compound my time through my mentees, through the relationships and the partnerships I'm building, that's what's going to allow me to be such a scalable individual. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's wonderful and i apologize my dog is barking in the back but i'm not gonna no it anyways because this is my podcast so you guys have to hear my dog bark so um <laughs> um the uh, there's, a, there's always two questions i ask in my in my podcast number one is the seven two moment so i go by the seven two which you know the seven two is basically the worst hand someone can pull in poker so the parallel with that is in life is you can't control the hands you're dealt, but you can control how you play that hand. Along the way, you know, have you been played a seven two? Have you been seven two? And, and 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 what was the pivot for you? Was it real estate? Was it you know? Yeah, I'll, I'll see that with you. Yeah. Think about this. Um, yeah. So I'm. It's going to be a struggle for me to pick one. I don't think like everything's relative so we only have our personal reference points right our personal experiences as reference points so under no circumstances do i think i've struggled to the degree that other people potentially have and that being said we've all struggled with something um so for myself when when you ask that question there's a handful of moments that come to mind um and it's difficult to really decide which one so i might just scattershot try and approach them all and bundle them into one lesson please do that because i had chris root on yesterday and the same thing he had as a powerful entrepreneur and there was there was he had a couple of them he shared so please go ahead okay yeah so the first one that immediately comes to mind i'm going to try and do them in chronological order is uh throughout high school and the vast majority of university i had one serious relationship so just one long-term girlfriend we broke up shortly after university and so much of my personal identity was tied up in that relationship. Like we'd been dating since I was 16 and we maybe broke up when I was like 22. Now we'd been on and off a little bit. So like I had had some other experiences, but like the, the vast sum of most of my relationship experiences were tied into that. And you just end up having a lot of your personal identity be that relationship and not even you like whose friends are whose or what's what like and again we weren't married but like 
it, it's as much a marriage as almost like a lot of paper marriages are. So that was definitely a defining moment when I was young. And like the reason for that was like some conflict over future plans and not wanting to compromise for that. So her and her family were very focused on like start a family. Like the moment you're done university, I grew up in a small farming community. Like people get married and have kids at what I consider to be a ridiculously young age. Mm -hmm. and I was just like, man, it feels so limiting. I have a struggle to see how I'm going to be able to accomplish what I'd like to be able to accomplish or become the person I'd like to be able to accomplish. Mm -hmm. I'd like to be in order if I follow that. So like that was definitely a dark moment for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, it was difficult to come to terms with that relationship breaking up. At the same time, I'm glad that I had the foresight and vision of what was really important to me because I would have been doing a disservice to her, to myself, to the relationship, mm -hmm. to the kids we probably would have had. Like, that would have been a bad thing. So I'm mm -hmm. really glad that I hit that sort of rock bottom moment. Um, another would have been maybe a year or two afterwards, I was diagnosed with a health condition that really lit a fire under me to want to get early retirement extreme. So, um, you know, it was, I, I'm not necessarily going to get super personal into it, but like something that like reduces your projected lifespan. Um, I was told like, you know, if things continue, you'll need like, you're going to have serious um, bone structural issues when you're in your early 40s, you're probably going to need hip replacements, things of that nature. And that was just like a holy shit moment for me. I was like, if I'm going to need like a hip replacement when I'm 40, like that, like the average person still has 25 years to work before they hit retirement. Like mm -hmm. what, what sort of retirement am I going to have at that moment? So all of a sudden to me, saving money and getting control of my personal financial life never was more important. Mm -hmm. And in part also because the only way to really try and slow the degeneration was through extremely expensive pharmaceuticals. And again, I was like, Oh my God, these are 2000, like a thousand dollars a needle, $2,000 a month in um, medical expenses. That's very intimidating as like a 25 year old dude. And so I was like, man, like I'm handicapped and I'm, you know, handcuffed to this. And again, like it's really easy to get caught up in, you know, pity parties, right. And be like, man, like all my buddies, like none of them have this, like sure. this was just bad genetic lottery. Like I didn't really bring this on myself. This is bullshit. Mm -hmm. And, uh, actually because of that too, I, I was misdiagnosed for a little bit. So I, like misdiagnosed in a bad way where a doctor just told me I was lazy and needed to exercise more and gave me the wrong advice. And one of the coping mechanisms, the only way I could fall, fall asleep at night because of the pain from the arthritis was just like by getting blackout drunk. So I developed some really bad habits because it was the only way for me to self-medicate during that period of time. Mm -hmm. And so even once I uh, was able to, you know, stabilize the condition, I had still unfortunately kept some of those bad habits. Sure. And uh, then moving forward, um, another real pivotal moment for me was right when I quit my day job. So when I decided to retire from real estate investing, the way I tell the story is I jumped out of the plane without the parachute, but I trusted I had the plans mm -hmm. and that I'd be able to build it on the way down. So I was working in the pharmaceutical industry. I was, it was a really stressful time back in 2016. Like it was an election year and there was a lot of implications. Our company was growing faster than it ever had before and was following a business model um, that with hindsight wasn't particularly uh, sustainable but at the time it's easy again to get drunk on your own kool-aid and so we were just blazing forward acquisition after acquisition i was on the acquisition team and like 
I'd be that guy sitting across the table from you and you'd be like, Hey Matt, you know, like, is my job safe? Like, and mm-hmm. we're trained to lie and say, yes, like, welcome to the family. And like, it got into my head. I wasn't eating right. And like, I was starting to physically feel sick just because of all the stress. And then of course, just because fate has a sense of irony, uh, after like a few months of that intensity, then we got acquired. And all of a sudden I found myself sitting across the table from someone else that was in a similar position. And I knew which way the chips were going to fall. It just, mm-hmm. there was no economic argument for maintaining our London, Ontario office. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty blunt with uh, the new management on that and pushed back really hard. And it was only my financial, my financial fortress of solitude, I like to call it my real estate portfolio that gave me the confidence. So literally like I can remember being like in uh, high level meetings where like there's the different VPs of the department. And these are like 50, 60 year old men that are like, you know, many titans of their industry. They're well-respected in their field. And like, they're breaking down crying saying they don't know how they're going to maintain this or how they're going to be able to get a new job, keep, keep their, relationship or marriage from ending up in divorce and keeping their kids from hating them during all this different stress and things like that. And anyways, long story short, um, as part of their helping us process, they bring in consultants, right? To learn your job as fast as possible so that they can get rid of you. It's just kind of standard operating procedure in business. And one of the consultants they brought in was just like a a giant asshole. Mm -hmm. And he came in and I remember specifically, there was three days in a row that he made one of the employees that reported to me, my AP clerk, cry. And on the third day, I just had enough. I was like, what the hell's the point of having built up this real estate portfolio? What's the point of trying to impress these people that I know are going to fire me? They're going to fire all my coworkers. Like, why am I even pretending to continue along with this, you know, Plato's cave, right? Of like pretending that the shadows are the only thing that exists in the world. And... I finally just stood up and I was like, you know what? I quit. I don't like what you're doing. I will give you a two week courtesy because you know, whatever. Um, because like, I like to be a man of my word and that consultant just blew up on me. Like just started dropping F bombs. I remember at the time, my, my direct boss, the VP of finance, she was in that meeting or in my office when he's just swearing at me, calling me lazy and saying like, I'm going to have to stay late and like, they'll tarnish my reputation. And like, I won't be able to get another job in this industry. And like, she's a good woman and like I like her and we've stayed friends after this but she was in a position where she couldn't stand up for herself or me either Mm -hmm. because again she was on too expensive of a life cycle right like we all get caught in that rat race trap and so the fact that I could stand up and anyways I like wrote a really long email to our new HR department after that that incident and documented witnesses and times mm-hmm. and everything. And again, it was something I never would have had the confidence to do if it wasn't for that and submitted that. And the next day that consultant was barred from our London campus, had to fly back to New Jersey, same day and explain WTF was going on in London, mm-hmm. Ontario. Um, but at the same time, like after I left that, I found myself adrift because I'd built up my identity around being a kick-ass CPA and being the guy that was climbing the corporate ladder faster than everyone else. And, you know, I was going to become CEO of a publicly traded company before anyone else and da, 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 da. And then all of a sudden that was no longer the case. And not only that, I kind of burned the bridge a bit. Like it wasn't going to be easy to go back to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when I kind of fell into just some bad habits again, right? Like, cause I had all this free time in the world. And I guess the last rock bottom moment that I'd like to share would be it, it was New Year's Eve 
um, or around New Year's Eve, I guess. I think it was like December 27th or 28th, 2017. And my YouTube channel was starting to get some success. And mm -hmm. I was really starting to enjoy it. And things mm -hmm. were really getting fun. Mm -hmm. And Jeff and I used to do a, a lot, weekly live stream on my YouTube channel. And we decided for the end of the year bash that we would uh, just drink, right? And it was this thing where if you donated money to the YouTube stream, we'd do a shot of vodka. Well, we had good plans and intentions, but the day was crazy and we never got to eat. So we're literally sitting there now with just a bottle of vodka doing a YouTube live stream and we're doing shots. And we, I guess we went live for three or four hours on YouTube. I only remember the first hour or two and then after that blacked out. But I remember waking up that next day and uh, just like the sense of shame was just like head to toe. And I was just like, who the fuck do you want to be? Like, do you want to be the guy that gets blackout drunk on YouTube? Or do you want to be the guy that inspires like 15 and 16 year olds to get control of their financial lives? Do you want mm -hmm. to help people quit the rat race? Do you want mm -hmm. to help people become more? Or do you want to help them, you know, self-rationalize their own vices and their own bad decisions? Because that's what you're doing by leading with this example. Mm -hmm. And so since then, like literally January 1st, it was like four days later, I gave up alcohol. I had one glass of wine since then, and that was for a very specific celebration. Mm -hmm. um, I quit meat as well. So I just implemented a bunch, like I went vegan at that time as well. I implemented a bunch of major life changes around then. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I guess the reason I want to share all those little stories is one to, I guess, show the audience that like my life's not perfect, but at the same time, I get it. There's probably people listening to this that have been through such greater struggles than I have gone through. And the only thing I want to say to that is understand that that's actually making you stronger. So you're stronger than I am. So that means that you're actually even more resilient than I am. So you're, you're still just as capable of everything I've accomplished, even if you're dealt a worse hand than maybe the hand you perceive myself to have been dealt. But just understand, like, it is what it is. And we can either take a victim mentality and accept it or we can just take ownership of the situation even if we're not necessarily at fault but we need to take ownership of the situation so that we can move forward and move past it wow i mean i'm such an extrovert i'm speechless i mean that was <laughs> just wow but you know the one thing i want to tell you is you know you know going through that yes it makes us as individuals stronger but if you had folded any of those cards you wouldn't have 58,000 people that believe in you on your subscribing to you. You wouldn't have, you know, over, what is it? 3000 people now in Cashville tribe that look to you for leadership and so forth. I mean, the it goes back to again, impact. You made a choice mm -hmm. in all the situations and look at the impact and legacy you're leaving. So even for myself, I mean, I was on my knees. I mean, I hit rock bottom, but if it wasn't for surrounding myself with individuals like yourself, Ben Morrison, humble CEO, Corey McKinnon, where the hell would I be? So impact. I mean, it's, it's so thank you. Thank you. And I, and I'm saying thank you for, for a lot of other people as well, because there are people that. that call me and will reach out to me once they hear my story. And so as I say, cash flow tribe, and what it's, how it's done for them, it's like they finally found their place. Like they finally found that room they should be in They're They're proud now. They're proud to be that outlier. Whereas in the past, they didn't, they didn't want to tell anybody that outlier. So that was pretty deep. So I'm going to, I'm going to shift this here, but I appreciate you being so, so transparent and open with us. What do you say is your, your proudest moment so far? Um, there, so certainly 
it's sometimes hard to know in the moment, but there's been, I've been lucky enough that there's a handful of times that in the moment I've realized what's happening. Um, and so there's three in particular that stand out for me. They've all happened since I quit my day job. So one, I think that's telling in and of itself, but I'll let you guys draw your own conclusions. The first one was OREC 2018. So this was a real estate conference we held here in London, Ontario, myself and Jeff Weibel. It was inspired because we attended Rain's Acre event uh, 75 days before we hosted OREC. And it was amazing. It was like Rain's event was the best real estate conference I'd ever been to. But I can remember on the drive home turning to Jeff and being like, that was amazing. That was the best thing I've ever been to. But I know we can do better. And he was like, well, let's just throw one. I was like, yeah, let's do it. And we literally just called the convention center and we're like, I don't even know, can you just call the convention center? Can you just book it? Like, how's that work? And we're like, hey, like we want to host a real estate conference. And they're like, okay, sure. Like what date? And we're like, sure. okay, like we'll pick this date. And they're like, okay, we need a $500 deposit. And we're like, that's all we need to do in order to have a conference is be able to scrape together $500. This is amazing. And so that second night of OREC was like, just like, there was a moment of clarity where I was like, this is special. Like this was really cool. And we were fortunate enough to also have some of our buddies come from across uh, North America, right? So Chris Rude was there, Graham Steffen was there, and we actually finished the night on, well, I guess, actually, I could probably get in trouble for that. We finished the night on top of a very tall building here in London that's probably hard to get permission to be on top of. And it was just like, we just had the city before us, and it was just like, I was just on the next level. Um, the next this one is even a more prouder moment is uh, we hosted what we called the uh, Vegas entrepreneur experience. So what we did was rent out a 63 room boutique hotel for a weekend. We just bought it out um, in Vegas and we just invited all the coolest people we knew and uh, you know, got a bunch of really great kick-ass entrepreneurs together. And it was again, unlike anything else, I think this was unlike anything else that ever existed. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the way, again, I've only ever really shared this with my team, but it just, it already feels very personal because like you're part of the team and stuff, Mark. Um, so like on the Sunday night of that event, uh, like again, I was just on such a high, but I remember going back to my hotel room and I took a shower and I just broke down crying out of joy. Mm -hmm. Like it was just like sheer joy. And like, I've never, I, I've never cried like that before or since. Like it was just like, such a personal satisfaction like like almost every person at that event came up to me at some point and said how that event had or was going to change their life i was just like this is this is it this is why um and then the last one is actually happened quite recently and that was the tribal summit that we did so the free event um that we did with cashflow tribe and again like i i think very few people have very few people get the pleasure of realizing in the moment when they're hitting a personal tipping point. And the fact that there's been three in my life where I was just fortunate enough to actually understand in that moment what was happening was truly amazing. So yeah, like I guess the common thread there is building communities. Mm -hmm. Like that's to me my proudest moment is the sure. communities I build. For sure. It's a real testament because when I talk to other investors, I mean, I'll pick on James Fernandez, for example, who's a local investor in London. His go-to is always, how many days since Ulrich I've done this? How many days since Ulrich I've done this? Like that was for many investors. Unfortunately, I didn't, I didn't attend. I, I, I wasn't there, but my headspace had been going on. But 
everybody goes back to OREC. And, and, and when you talk about the virtual summit, I mean, first things first, I mean, 1% of Canadians received notification of, of this virtual summit that was completely free, virtual, and it was put together how quickly because COVID came so fast. So 1% of Canadians, the growth of Cashflow Tribe was quite significant. But on a real personal selfish level, I was grateful for you and Ben to have me speak about my experience and what Cashflow Tribe Alpha has done for me. But when the lights turned off and I turned off my, my camera, just like you in the shower, I actually broke down and cried like a baby. And it was because it was the first time in years I've actually taken the time to reflect on the journey. Yeah. Because the whole time it's been the kill, the kill, the kill. Not because not, I should say the kill, but you're just so focused on the hunt, not the kill, sorry. Yeah. But then when you sort of the lights turn off and then they're like, I, I, I just, man, it was like I cried like a baby, but I had a smile on my face. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, yeah, and that was the, just it's just the feeling there, when, right? yeah, to me, like, it's the feeling when you know you left everything on the field or left everything on the court, right? And you're just like, yeah. that was it. Like, I gave it my all. They yeah. loved it. It's made an impact. Like, yes. Yeah. You know, I know we're getting a little bit long here, but I got one last question for you. Um, it's funny because um, one of the first times I heard you speak was an Onria event. And uh, so this was Sean Allen and, and Ben Bowring, and it was in London. And what, there was a question that was asked, and it was funny because your answer was so unorthodox, which was, you hope people are scalping tickets to your funeral. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember that guy? Yep. And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's what you want. Yeah, that's what you want to build, right? And I just think it was awesome. So the final question is a tombstone question. And a tombstone question is really about the day we meet the maker. You know, we don't have a choice of what goes on, what's written on our tombstone. Other people have that, that liberty. What do you think will be written on Matt McKeever's tombstone? Yeah, uh, good question. I haven't really thought about it. <clears throat> I guess for myself, I'm, I definitely view everything through the lens of legacy and impact. Uh, so just to build upon what you were saying there, you know, I, I think someone had asked, like, what's the long-term goal or something? And I said, for myself, it's literally, I want to have made such an impact, left such a legacy that there'll be scalpers at my funeral, as in good seats will be a premium, um, that there'll be so much demand, right? I guess for myself, like, I don't know if I have a, a witty phrase that I would necessarily want on the tombstone, but like, to me, the success would be like, I, I've heard a saying, I might be butchering it here, that you died two deaths. You died the first, you die when your body dies and you die a second time, the last time your name is ever said. Holy and my shit, hopes would be that it takes a really long time before my second death, if Holy that makes shit. sense. Yeah, wow. I, that, when you said that, I got chills down my back. Wow. I've never heard that before. That is, that is incredible. Wow. I, I, you know, I'm not even going to comment on that. That's how we're going to end it. I mean, that's just, wow, man. This was awesome. I appreciate that. This is awesome. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you just being so honest and, I'm humbled that uh, you shared a lot of personal stuff uh, with me and, um, you know, I'm, I'm humbled for that. So thank you so much. Awesome. This Thanks is, again. Uh, and I already, I already know my title for this and it's going to be The Real Matt McKeever. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> uh, I don't want this to end, but.